Here we go again, second installment of the sermon discussion. I'm sitting here, my name is Jamie, I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone Piqua, and I'm sitting here with my uh, dear friend, Steve Minter, who's a pastor. Is it Stephen Minter, or is it Steve Minter? Because your wife calls you Steven, but I always call you Steve. It's Steve, just, it's just go with Steve. Straight Steve. That, okay. that's, I always thought Steve was an old man's name, but I realize I'm not so young anymore. Well, so you're an old we'll man just... now, that's right. So I'm sitting here with um, Steve or Stephen Minter, same person. He's one of the pastoral candidates at our church. And what we're doing with this discussion is looking at the text that we went through on our Sunday morning gathering uh, and just kind of riffing off of some of the ideas. And uh, today we're looking uh, back at the message that uh, was entitled Christ Forming Discipleship. And the, the point of that message was... We're we're in the middle of a vision series, and we're looking at sort of the pillars of our church, the four things that, four cylinders that drive the engine of Cornerstone Piqua. And uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, gospel center preaching, and then uh, after that, we looked at uh, Christ-exalting worship, and yesterday, we looked at Christ-forming discipleship. Uh, The main point from the message was that Uh, As a church, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, and we do that through being formed into the likeness of Christ, and then also helping to form others into the likeness of Christ. And so we we sort of made two major points in in the sermon, which is that uh, first, we exist to be formed by God's Word and, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in God's Word into the likeness of Christ. And as, as that is happening, we are also taking on the responsibility of forming others into the likeness of Christ. So it's not that just that the, the message, the, the point of God's Word doesn't just land on us. It's meant to go from us into others. And so um, Steve's here. just want to ask a couple of questions and get your, your thoughts on some things. We talk a lot about discipleship, and that, that's, that's a word that we... We take from Scripture, disciple. Jesus called the disciples to himself. What exactly do we mean by disciple? What is a disciple? Well, in that, in that time period, um, the way the original audience would have understood this, this term being a disciple. So, so Jesus was a, a rabbi, and he had his, he had his inner 12, his, his followers. And then we know from other passages, like where he sends out the 72, that there's other disciples. Well, the, a disciple is a, basically means a follower, but it's, to them it was more than that. It was, they would follow their rabbi or their teacher and try to learn every single thing that they could from that person down to they, they wanted to think like that person. So when they walked in to buy a pair of shoes, they wanted to automatically, without thinking about it, buy the same shoes that their rabbi would kind of a thing. They wanted to become like that person. I don't know if you're into um, uh, martial arts movies. So there's this series, the Ip Man series, right? And in the Ip Man series, I think it's in movies number two. It- Ip Man, Ip Ip Man, he's the guy who trained Bruce Lee, and so he has these people, these guys who want to come train under him, and so they come and they they say, Master, we want to train with you, and so he kind of tests them, and they'll they'll bow down, and basically they just follow him around, they just do whatever he does, you know, and that's, 
in 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 this this culture, that's what a disciple was. They were a follower, but they weren't just yeah. I I kind of go along with him. Like we we have preachers that we like to listen to. It's it's more than just that. It's like if you're a John Piper fan, if you're going to be a disciple the way they thought of disciples of John Piper, it means you would like follow John Piper around as he did stuff. And like he bought a red toothbrush. So I'm going to buy a red toothbrush kind of a thing. Maybe not quite that extreme, but that's to a point. That's how what discipleship was. They were trying to just follow their their teacher, their rabbi, whoever they've connected themselves with, just following him around and learning and doing everything just like him. And so when we're when we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's that's the goal. It's and, and that's why we use the, we use the term being a disciple of Christ and we also talk about um, becoming like Christ. Those are the same thing. Being a disciple leads you to Christ likeness because you're you're looking at who Christ was, you're looking at what Christ did, you're looking at what his, what it teaches about Christ and who Christ is in in the gospels and in the, the uh, epistles and we're trying to figure out how can I be like Christ? How can I do things like Christ did them? Obviously, there's a huge distance between us and Christ because he was God and we are not. But he was also man. And he, he lived on this earth and he we have the Holy Spirit living within us that will then lead us into Christ-likeness. This process of discipleship is enabled by the Holy Spirit in our lives. So one of the texts that I quoted from uh, is in Mark chapter 3. And what you know you were talking and made me think of it. Uh, when Jesus called the disciples to himself, um, in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, we read, And he went up the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, and he named them apostles. And this is, this is this, I love this, this part, because it, it's very disciple-y. So they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And so you have that two two parts to mm-hmm. discipleship. You have that, he's calling them, and they are with him. And so that's like you were saying, you know, they, they live with him, they learn his ways, they understand what's his priorities, and then then they're equipped by him to be sent out. So as I was thinking through what what text to hone in on, I always struggle with, with uh, topical sermons because they're just... It's just it's just not easy to choose one particular area, uh, one particular text, and and, and and build a sermon off of that. Um, so what, what I, I had a number of things in my head about what what texts to go to, and ultimately I landed in Ephesians chapter four, and the reason I, I landed there um, had had a lot to do with what the Apostle Paul is teaching the Ephesians about the ministers, the, the point of the ministers. So he starts off in chapter 4 by saying, you know, this is who God is, and, and God has called us to himself. We are followers of God. He has united us to his, his, his body, to his church. And then uh, Paul goes on to say that Jesus, Christ has given gifts to his church. And uh, he, he lists those gifts in verse 11 of chapter 4, apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers, and a lot of commentators understand shepherds and teachers to be one office. So you have the office of apostle, you have the office of prophet, you have one office of the evangelist, and shepherds and teachers are not separate offices, but probably the same office. But the the, the main point, I think, of this, of this part of um, Ephesians 4 is to say 
that these these gifts that God God the Son has given to His church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, uh, and so the minister of the word in the local church exists to administer the word to the people of God in order for the people of God to be equipped to do the ministry of God. I didn't grow up that way. I grew up with this sort of understanding that the minister was the person on the platform. I don't know, did you grow up with an understanding that the real work of ministry, gospel ministry, was being done by the people in the pew? Not sort of, and because we're we're always taught, you know, go out. You're supposed to be soul winning. It's yeah. the term in in the, the churches I grew up in, and uh, and so you were that was the work of the ministry was you go out and you you pass out tracts or you you preach the gospel to somebody. Um, it, but but really, the the main work of the ministry was that was the pastor's job. There was a youth pastor's job. That was a Sunday school teacher's job. That was the missionary's job, and we were here to support them in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, this completely, like like you said, it says it's uh, for building up the body of the Christ until we attain the unity of faith and mature manhood. Um, okay, actually, one verse too early. So it says to equip the saints, right? So the the saints are the ones doing the work of the ministry. Well, as I was kind of looking at this today, and I was kind of thinking through it, it seems to me that the the ministry, the work of the ministry that's being talked about there, this the word ministry is the same word we get our, our in the Greek is where we get our word deacon from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I'm, I was looking at this, I was like, okay, so he says for the work of the ministry, what is the ministry? And so I started reading back, going back before this to see what the what the where that what the category of ministry was if he had if he had used that term before in the passage um, anywhere in the book and but then I land on verse, starting verse one I therefore prisoner of, of the Lord this is verse chapter four verse one urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called okay with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that's the ministry. Hmm. Bearing with one another, humility, gentleness, walking worthy of the calling for which you have been called. And that calling which you've been called is growth in Christ likeness. And that's what he's been talking about in the in the previous chapters, one, two, and three. And he talks about in chapter starting chapter one and then moving into chapter two. He's talking about um this is how God saves you. And then in chapter three, as he closes out chapter three, he's he's talking about the unity that we have because of what God has done. And then he, he continues to move through and he gets here to, he's back into this topic of, of unity in the body of Christ and it's the unity of the spirit. So th- it seems to me that the, the ministry being spoken of, the work of the ministry isn't just, I'm not saying that, the, that that's something less than about witnessing and spreading the gospel, but it's, it's, it's not less than spreading the gospel. It's, it's all of it's the the ministry that we're called into. Isn't just for those outside of the church, but also for those inside of the church, and that we're maintaining the unity of the spirit. So the unity that we have as believers isn't a unity that we're creating. It's a gift. This is something that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about in his in his uh, little book that I'm I'm actually reading right now. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of that. What was the name of that book? Is but it the uh, cost of discipleship. 
No, it's not the cost of discipleship. It's it's his other one about a Christian living in, in Christian unity, yeah. um, and like, that's that's what he talks about. And that it, it that struck me. It was very timely reading of that book, um, where he talks about fellowship within the body is every bit as much of a gift. The the unity that we have in the spirit is every bit as much of a gift as our very salvation. Hmm. And I thought that that's that's interesting because it is the unit. It's the unity of the spirit. So the Spirit is the one who's bringing us together. And it's through bringing us together with the humility and the gentleness and the patience and the bearing with one another that is bringing about the Christ-likeness that we're seeking to to attain as we're discipling and being discipled and being sanctified by the Spirit. And it's it's a really timely word, what you just said, because you know we, we're recording this uh, during a time in which um, we're, we're not able to enjoy a lot of that unity that we have with one another. Um, we are quarantined to our homes and separated. And um, I mentioned in the message, and I'll reiterate it here, how encouraged I've been over the last number of days of hearing from people, even this afternoon, uh, some of the ladies in our church doing a video call and a bunch of them getting together and just sh- sharing prayer requests and checking in on one another. Um, hearing from folks reaching out to others and doing uh, video chats online and um, doing doing Bible study online uh, with with one another. Um, I had a brother call me today and just just saying, "Hey man, I woke up today, wanted to go to church, realized I couldn't go to church. I was a little bummed out about that." And so um, I shared with him the same. You know, I woke up today wanting to go to church, and I was bummed out that I couldn't go. And so we pray together, and I trust the Lord will use it. Uh, so. It really is a season, unlike any other that I've ever went through, mm-hmm. where I'm really feeling, as you were talking about the unity that we enjoy because of what the Lord has done in, in bringing us, uniting us to His body, I'm really feeling that in a different way now. Feeling, I'm longing for that. Mm-hmm. And you, you, know, you, you really don't know what it is and the impact it has on you until it's taken away from you and you, and you miss it. And so uh, it's given me a new appreciation um, in a lot of ways for that. So, Just a, a real quick plug, the the book I was talking about from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that is uh, Life Together, which is actually on Christian Audio for the month of February of 2020, is a free book. February? March. March, March, sorry, yeah. So so you have, as, as we are recording this, you have today and tomorrow. <laughs> you can download that for free from Christian Audio. Just a, a quick plug. We're not making any... That's not a sponsored gift. Anything. So <laughs> so I, I, I was tempted when I was putting this together to, to jump into Luke chapter 14. Uh, in Luke 14, the Lord is teaching His disciples about the cost of discipleship. And um, the, this, this is often a confusing passage to a lot of folks, I think. And it, it's, I think, in some ways still confusing to me. I'll, I'll just read a portion of it here, and uh, maybe you can share some of your thoughts that come to mind. So great crowds accompanied Jesus, and Jesus turns to the crowds. This is Luke chapter 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. But what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. And then Jesus says this in verse 34, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a high cost. Jesus is saying basically we have to hate father, mother, kids, wife. We have to deny everything and in order to be his disciple. Uh, what, do you, what do you think Jesus means by that? That, that seems radical. Yeah, yeah, like, and I like that you're using the word radical there. There's a, um, um, Pastor David Platt, um, he, he wrote a book called Radical. Um, and in that book, I like the way he described it in there. Um, he talks about, he was talking about this particular passage and the, the radical nature of following Christ. He uses terms like hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. So how, did, how are we supposed to hate his, our own father and mother and wife and children? So this is what Jesus is telling us. And then you go to, to, to Paul, and he talks about husbands love your wives. Okay, so is there is there a uh, um, contradiction between Paul and Christ in this, where Paul is saying, you need to love your wife, and Jesus is like, no, if you're actually going to be a follower of me, you have to hate your wife. It's the way... The way um, David Platt describes it is if your love for your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brothers and sisters and even your own life doesn't look like hate in compared to in comparison with the love and devotion that you have for your creator God Christ what he has done for you and you're you're proclaiming his message then you don't understand what it costs and I I think that's I like that explanation it makes it helps me under, understand what he's saying here. I don't I don't ne- necessarily take Jesus to say because I have I have heard of people who who like well I'm just going I'm I'm a Christian now so basically forget all of you guys and I'm I'm going to do my own thing because that's not honoring to God in and of itself. If you just basically leave your wife and your children and ignore your brothers and sisters and and just respect your parents because well I'm loving God. That's that's not what Je- I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I think what he's saying is if you're not willing to put me first to that degree where if your father and your mother and your wife and your children are or it, it reminds me of in, in the Old Testament when when the the laws are being given um the Moses, one of the laws that God gave to Moses and Moses gives to the people was if the wife that you love from your youth, so basically this per, the, your, the love of your life, if she comes to you or if, or if your husband whom you love dearly comes to you and says, let's go worship another God. See, what you're supposed to do in that situation according to the Old Testament law is go tell the priest and cast the first stone. Because following God is the most important thing. And to me, this that's kind of what this seems like he's saying. If you're if just, just looking at what he's saying here, if 
if your father and your mother, if you're not willing to walk away from your father and your mother and your wife and your children and brothers and sisters, if, because if, if they're trying to draw you away from Christ, basically turn, then you're not, you're not counting the cost, like yeah. he says. Well, yeah, I like the phrase you use, that counting the cost. There's, uh, you had mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer earlier, and there's that famous quote from uh, The Cost of Discipleship, the book he wrote, uh, where he says something along the lines of, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if, uh, if we have accurately represented the call, the calling to which you have been called, if we don't also include some element of self-denial. I wonder if one of the reasons uh, we're struggling, and the evangelical church may be struggling in, in some ways, is simply because um, we have positioned what it means to follow Jesus as if you go after Jesus, he's going to give you all of the things that you wanted in the first place. Versus if you follow Jesus, it really is a call to lay down your life you know, he mentions here in, in Luke 14, a taking up of the cross. It's like carrying your own execution stake to follow mm-hmm. him. If you're not willing to renounce all that you have, you cannot be his disciple. That's a tremendously high calling. I mean, even, even back to Ephesians chapter 4, um, which you mentioned, the walking worthy of the calling which you have been called. What, is, what does he say that, that entails? Humility? gentleness, patience. If it was going to be easy, you wouldn't need to be reminded to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain. So if if it was easy, the whole concept of being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that, that wouldn't really make sense if that was just, if that was just easy. But the eager being eager to maintain the unity, I mean, maintain that that takes work, mm-hmm. you know, bearing with one another like that's when when you think of bearing a burden, you're you're or, or you're bearing something. It's a load. It's heavy. It's hard. You're bearing with one another in love. You look at the um, this is something you've mentioned multiple times. Is you look at the fruit of the spirit. I mean, that that means that you're in order to have the fruit of the spirit, you're gonna have to be around other Christians that are rubbing you the wrong way. Because if you don't have something to suffer long over, you're not going to get long suffering. Yes. Right? right. So um, unless you're a Browns fan, <laughs> then then you are a true then you are a true sports fan. <laughs> but it's so yes, this Paul and Paul and uh, Jesus are saying the same things. This Jesus is saying it in in a very stark way here in in. Uh, in Luke, um, where he's saying you have to be willing to turn your back on your father and your mother and your wife and your children for my sake. You have to, you, that has to be, you would, you have to be willing to go that far. Mm-hmm. It's so countercultural to the message we hear uh, so often, which is uh, find yourself, you know, um, so much of, of the message we hear today is a message of self-actualization, self-realizing, um, and 
you know, you find out what you're passionate about and you pursue that very thing. And here we find the Lord Jesus saying the entire opposite thing, uh, which is deny yourself. Don't, you know, the message mm-hmm. of the gospel is not a message of self-actualization. It's a, it's a message of, of self-crucifixion. It's a, it's a message of turning away from who you once were to become the person that you are. One thing I really love uh, that doesn't get as much maybe uh, media attention, as it were, uh, is the Lord also gives promises. It's not, that, it's not that the entirety of the Christian life is a self-denial and it's this, um, you know, you're, you're punishing yourself to the place of extra levels of holiness. The Lord also gives promises that says the one who leaves father and mother and everything behind, he is guaranteed to be rewarded. And he says, he says at one point that he'll be rewarded. He's telling his own disciples that you'll be rewarded in this life and in the next. So it's true that for some of us who come to faith and uh, we have to leave behind family members, those who are not Christians, and we, we have to cut ties with old friendships. But the Lord promises that, as you mentioned earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, there's a uniting to a new body, a new people. Now you're a part of a new creation and uh, you're richly rewarded with greater relationships. I think we need to think about what that concept of reward means in in this context of discipleship and denial of self. You know, because so many times when we hear the term reward, we're thinking of material goods, mm-hmm. right? Where for Paul, what does he say? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So for for Paul, the reward is growing in Christ likeness, mm-hmm. being united with other believers. Mm-hmm. You know, the rewards that Jesus is talking about isn't aren't necessarily rewards of personal aggrandizement. It's rewards of you're you're gaining Christ, which which is more than everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you see this in Philippians three, where Paul's saying, "I've suffered the loss of all things; I count them as rubbish in order that I might." gain Christ mm-hmm. and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He speaks uh, also here of sharing in the sufferings of Christ in order that he might be like him. So the call of discipleship is first to become like Christ, but it's not only that. It's not like I become a Christian and I, I'm maturing in my Christ-likeness by, by daily Bible reading, by daily prayer. It's that, but it's not only that. So if, if that was all the Christian life was, then all we would need is a Bible and to sit at home and to have some free time to pray and to read. But uh, the Lord unites us to a family. We've talked many times about God uniting us to the church. And what is the reason for that? Except uh, the disciple who is called to make disciples. So what is the responsibility on each individual Christian toward another Christian? You had mentioned earlier about some kind of relationship that we have toward other people in the church. I mean, um, what we have, kind of the notes that we're working off of, it says, do we all disciple? It it reminds me of um, uh, a book by R.C. Sproul entitled Everyone's a Theologian. 
And, and the, the point that he's making in this book is everyone's a theologian. Either you're a good one or you're a bad one. Well, in, in this particular instance, everyone is a discipler. Either you're discipling well or you're not. Hmm. Either you're, you are showing Christ and leading people by, you, by the way God is working through you, by the way the Holy Spirit is working in you, leading people to Christ or you're leading people away from Christ because you're resisting what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. So, yes, we all are discipling. So what does that mean to disciple somebody else? I think, like, I just keep going back to, to Ephesians chapter 4, where, which is what you what your sermon was about. Um, that was the, the central text that we were using. It looks like bearing with one another in love. It looks like being eager to maintain. So it, it's one thing for 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 you to be eager to maintain unity in the spirit with me. But if I'm resistant to that, what, what requires that, that maintaining of unity requires that both of us be eager to maintain that unity, you know, cause you, you can only go but so far in maintaining unity with me. If I'm resistant to that, then, then we're still not going to have unity. You know what I mean, so, um, and it's the unity of the spirit. And he, he talks about um, the the fact that we are in one body. So going back to the kind of centering back on the question, what does it mean to disciple somebody? It means just some practical things, doing a Bible study, because and I I think that's that's the a big thing because it's not just discipleship isn't just going and giving somebody good advice. Disciple is discipling is. L- Together, going back to the scriptures, going back to the source of of what um, of, of where we find out who God is and who Christ is, and and what is what is being asked of us and required of us, and how do we walk worthy of this this calling for which we have been called? You know, you, you look at that passage in Ephesians, and this he, he's he's urging you the, the everyone in this in this body that's going to be reading this to walk worthy of the calling. And, and then he's talking about with humility and gentleness and patience, meaning they're, they're rubbing up against other people. And they're all supposed to be working for these same for that same thing. And so to disciple somebody is, you're, you're, but it's not just I'm discipling you and then and I'm not getting, you're not discipling. It's, it's not a one-way street in that. Yeah, it gets really weird when it's like, Steve, I've decided, I woke up this morning and I decided I'm going to disciple you. And now I'm like a mentor and you're my mentee and like I serve you and I, I, I like give to you all the things that I have learned. It's not exactly like that, right? It's more that doesn't, that reciprocal. Doesn't, yeah, that doesn't seem very Christ-like because that's, that's forgetting the humility part. <laughs> because that's assuming if that's how, if that's how we're going to be discipling, quote-unquote, we're... Here, I have all of this wisdom. Now you're my little pupil, and I'm going to teach you all of this well, wisdom. Well, because it's Christ forming discipleship. It's not. I'm not trying to make people Jamie-like. You're not trying to make people Steve-like. You're, you're trying yeah. to make them yeah. Christ-like. We're trying to point everyone to Christ. I, I love this passage in Acts chapter 20 where the Apostle Paul is, is speaking to the Ephesian elders. So it's, it's, it's uh, lines up with the, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And he's, he's saying to them, this is Acts chapter 20, and he says in, in verse uh, 18, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. So he's saying, 
There was life that we lived together. Like mm-hmm. there was an intentionality to do life together. Then later in verse, uh, let's see it down here, um, verse 20, and how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So you see Paul having this relational connection with the Ephesian elders, and then he does have a teaching ministry to them. But his teaching ministry isn't just like, I'm going to climb up on the platform publicly and preach on Sunday morning, and that's it. He says, I taught you on Sunday morning, but then I taught you from house to house. Like, Mm -hmm. I I went to your homes, and we sat down together, and we opened what would have been their Bible, and we we looked at Jesus, and we we, we pointed everything to to Jesus, and you see that Christ-forming discipleship. Um, another another element there is is the first the first uh, part of that uh, verse eighteen. It says, "You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia," which means he's saying, "I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm not just showing up on Sunday morning preaching a sermon and telling you what you need to be doing right, and then going back and and, and sticking with my people or or my my inner group or just by myself." He's like, "No, I lived my life out in the open." I put my life on display because I am, he says, in another another passage, he says, imitate us, uh, imitate me as I am an imitator of Christ. You know, so he's, that's, that's what he's saying here is, that I, I am here, I am imitating Christ, and you saw how I lived. And so that's, that's another element to discipleship, is it requires a level of vulnerability, where you're opening yourself up for people to see your faults. For people to see your your strengths, your weaknesses, to see your failures, and that's that a big part of, and he he says it here in verse twenty. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Well, if if you're if the temptation was there to shrink from declaring something that was profitable, probably means that the thing that was profitable was a hard word, mm-hmm. you know. So. Boy, I feel that. I feel that. There's plenty of times when, I'll be honest, it's way easier to get up on in you know in on behind the platform mm-hmm. and to preach hard, you know, you sinner, repent, um, and and then to go back in my office and close the door and just hide. That's totally different than sitting down and telling someone you're living in sin, and you must repent. And do not harden your heart against God. And to give them that clear, stern warning from Scripture. Um, because I like people. And I, I like when people like me. And I don't want someone to not like me. And so I feel that, that tendency to want to shrink back. But that's part of discipleship. That's part of... It's not that we should go around and, and pointing fingers at people. But when you, when you have a relationship with someone, and you're, you mentioned doing a Bible study together, sitting down doing a Bible study together, and someone confesses, brother, sister, pray for me. I'm, you know, this is a situation of my life. Or you know, you know, the, the Spirit of the Lord exposes sin in someone's life. Uh, you have a responsibility because of your love for that person to uh, say something about that and to call them to repent of that sin. Uh, that should be the normal that should be the normal uh, life of a believer, shouldn't it? Or is that an exception? Is it just for the I, mature Christian? I, I think that should be the normal... more Because because that right there goes back to the passage we looked at in Luke, where if you're not willing to hate your... Like, and to them, it might feel... To, to somebody, it might feel like, 
like you, you're you're attacking them if you're saying, hey, this is a pattern of sin that I have that that I'm seeing, and and I am worried for you. I am I love you, and I'm I'm here to to call you to Christ likeness as a fellow believers, and speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, and to them it might be, feel like you're attacking them, and like and but you have to be willing to put that relationship on the line because their eternal soul and their standing with God. And this is a quote that we have up in the other room um, by um, uh, the Prince of Preachers, uh, Spurgeon, where he says, if people are going to get into hell, let them get over to hell out of our, over our bodies. Basically, we're, we're standing in the way, trying our best to prevent people from going to hell, but we're, and, and, and they're going to jump over us to get there. And that's kind of the same concept where if if we're going to have somebody in our church, another believer that we're in fellowship with, that we're, we're um, discipling with and they're discipling us and we're discipling them, we see these patterns of sin. We see these or or even even if it's not an open sin, but there's there's patterns of unwise decisions that are that they're do, making that are leading them into potentially bad situations. We're just going to them and and that's going to require a lot of relational capital. Mm-hmm. You got you're going to have to have a relationship with that person. And that's that's part of what this discipleship thing is about. It's not just show up, throw some bible at them and leave. No, this is this requires work in building relationship so that then we can speak the truth in love into each other's lives. And it's not, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna speak truth into your life. No, it's, I'm gonna come so you can speak truth into my life. I can speak truth into your life. You can hold me accountable. I can hold you accountable. And we can work together in this because together our goal is the same: being like Christ. Mm-hmm. At the end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy, and Second Timothy two two. I love that it's Second Timothy two two because it's so easy to remember. Um, Paul says this to this young pastor. This is probably the last letter we have from the apostle. He writes, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's so interesting. You see in this one verse, four generations. Mm -hmm. You see Paul talking to Timothy, telling Timothy, you need to take what you have learned from me and entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations of Christians being envisioned by the apostle in this one verse. Mm -hmm. And I think faithful Christians should think in the same way. So I come to church on a Sunday morning, and the Lord uses something in the sermon or something from the text, and it really impacts me. And it... It, it begins to form me into the image of Christ. Well, that, that gift from the Holy Spirit, it's never meant to stop with me. I'm supposed to take that and think generationally. Like, who mm-hmm. can I tell about this? And obviously, the, the easy ones are if you're married, you have a spouse. That's simple. Uh, if you have friends who are Christians, that's another. You can reach out to them, encourage them. Um, just as simple as saying, hey, you know what? I, I was reading this the, the other day, or this I heard this in the sermon the other day, and it really, really struck me. What do you think about this? What you're doing in that moment is saying, um, I have learned this from the Lord, 
and I'm entrusting it to others who I trust will entrust it to others. I think that's a, a great a great point because I've, as I'm kind of thinking back on our conversation we've had thus far, it almost seems like what well, we've been, may, maybe just me, but what we've been saying is discipleship means calling people out on their sin. And, and, but that's, it means just going to the, going to the, being in the word and sharing what you're learning from the word with other people. Mm -hmm. And it might include going to somebody and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm seeing this thing in your life. It seems to me like you're going down this wrong road. Let's talk about it. You know, that's, that might be included in, but really the, the way this happens is that's what we're, we're rooted and we're grounded in scripture. And then we're sharing what the scripture is teaching us with other people. That's discipleship. That's how it works. That's how we're conformed into the image of his son. You know, that's, that's the process of sanctification. That's where God is getting his words into our lives. So then it, the overflow of that can be proclaiming that to others. What are some ways we can do that, Steve? So we've been talking in some generalities. So let's put some feet on this. Somebody who's listening to this, uh, how can they begin to disciple? Let's let's take away the fact that it's coronavirus mess and you, you can't hang out. Let's take all that away. So once the coronavirus has done its thing and it's over with, um, how how do we disciple? What you know you, what you just described is so simple. It it's this is what the Lord has been teaching me in His Word. Mm -hmm. What do you think? That that's all that is, um, but. How do I do that? Just practically. Give me some examples of ways someone in our church can disciple someone else. I think the, the step number one, and, and we have a coronavirus going on right now, so you have ample time to be reading the Word. <laughs> yeah. So if you're reading the Word, you're studying Scripture, you're reading good books by good theologians, by good Bible teachers, because we stand on the shoulders of giants, as someone said. You know, we don't have... We're not coming up with this on our own. We're, we're learning from people in the past. We're being discipled by people who have been dead for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. basically. Because the, the way they, them wrestling through Scripture and wrestling with the question of who is God, what is the gospel, who is Christ, those things, people have been wrestling with these things for years, and we're reaping the benefits of that. And so we have time to, to be reading and engrossing ourselves in in Scripture, and learning from other people throughout church history about what the Scripture says. And and just and then, as we're learning those things, just talk to somebody about it. You know, get together, whether it be over text message or, or over FaceTime or um, a phone call, whatever it is. And, and if you're working with somebody and you know they're a believer, you can just talk about those things. If you're working with somebody who's not a believer, you can be taking this time to prepare yourself to know what the gospel is, to know what you believe and why you believe it, so then you can share it with others. It's really that easy. And uh, thanks for having this conversation with me, Steve. It's, um, it really is a... Uh, it, it's a very simple thing, but it's a very profound thing. Yeah. In that... God has given others to form us. There are people in our life that He has used to form us. They, they partner with the Spirit, and they use the Word of God to form us into the image of Christ. And it's really not just for that. It's so that we can also be an instrument 
to helping to form uh, others as well. Well, I hope that this recording has been helpful to you in, in putting some legs to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to be discipling others. Uh, check back next week where we'll be reviewing another sermon, but it's good to hang out with you, Steve, and um, trust everybody is doing well. And if you have any questions about anything that you have heard here today, uh, send an email to me at pastorjamie at cornerstonepickwood.org. Look for this video, uh, this audio coming up next week. All right, bye-bye.